Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. From all of us at KBRA, let me wish all of you a Happy New Year. I'm sure I'm far from the first to bestow that to you, but I think I'm well within Larry David's statute of limitations. Google that if my reference is a bit obtuse. I also want to acknowledge the legacy of Scott Minard, CIO of Guggenheim Partners, who passed away in December. Here's a quote from Scott that aligns well with my own thinking. As an asset manager, Mr. Minard explained, I've come to view conventional wisdom as the surest path to investment underperformance. I've always thought good analysts test conventional wisdom. They don't follow it. All right, this week our three things are, one, a new credit paradigm. It's here and it's different. Two, China's reopening. That's good, right? Maybe. And three, a labor market. What's good for consumer finance might not be good for economic growth. We'll explain. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. A new credit paradigm. Now, I'm usually pretty judicious in my use of the word paradigm. It seems grandiose. Webster says it is, in part, a philosophical and theoretical framework of a scientific school or discipline. But the choice of the word paradigm just might be appropriate to describe the business credit environment post-pandemic. So what does this new paradigm look like? Well, it starts with cost of capital. It's normalizing. It's no longer enhanced by what has been massive central bank intervention since the global financial crisis that drove down the cost of debt across the credit spectrum to ultra-low levels. Part of the new credit paradigm will be higher for longer, i.e. higher, but not high, interest rates as a new normal, something that figures to be enforced by the return of bond vigilantes. The reemergence of that crowd makes the likelihood of a return to the old paradigm of the Fed put and quantitative easing a thing of the past. Now, under this new paradigm, deficient business models and or inappropriately risky capital structures don't work. It will be harder to raise capital and harder to produce acceptable returns than it has been. But this is not to imply that capital will become scarce. Well-run companies should continue to attract capital under the new paradigm, as one noteworthy feature is a return of capitalism's creative destruction. That phenomena should flush out more than a few zombie companies that under the old paradigm introduced considerable irrational and destructive competition into the competitive landscape. But of course, this new paradigm is not all puppy dogs and rainbows. Investors will need to test issuer cash flows against a backdrop of not only higher interest rates, but also slower growth, technological disruption, ESG sensitivities and costs, and heightened geopolitical uncertainty. It's all part of where credit is headed. All right, on to our second thing, China's reopening. On just about anyone's upside catalyst to risk markets, us included, is China's reopening, stemming from a meaningful relaxation of the country's zero-COVID policy. That policy has clearly hampered one of the global economy's primary growth engines by holding back its consumption and capital expenditures and creating kinks in global supply chains. 
The Bloomberg consensus for Chinese growth in real GDP in 2022 is forecast to be just 3%, considerably below the 6.7% annual rate averaged in the five years prior to COVID. So while relaxing zero COVID was rolled out quietly in December, it is with great fanfare to see China reopen its borders to international travelers this week. All good, right? Well, it's not that simple. Bringing that large of an economy back on stream in full will undoubtedly increase demand across the commodity complex, creating upward pressure on prices, fueling inflation. And the experience in the West tells us that the path to herd immunity is not a smooth one. So it will take a while for China to hit its stride. But when it does, net-net, we believe it will be a positive catalyst for risk markets. One more force normalized. But over the near term, especially when we think about inflation, it is likely to be a double-edged sword. As an example, Goldman Sachs is calling for the price of Brent crude to average $110 a barrel in 2023, up from $79 in 2022, right? A big part of that jump is China's reopening. That is sure to leave a mark on consumer sentiment and corporate margins around the world. As we said, China's reopening is not that simple to analyze. All right, on to our third thing, the labor market's mixed message. Here we are on Jobs Friday, and the news remains fairly upbeat. Growth in non-farm payrolls remains healthy, and the unemployment rate is sitting at 50-year lows. This is the kind of market any consumer lender wants to see. Plentiful jobs and increasing wages. So what's not to love? Well, here's something. The labor force in the U.S. remains insufficient to meet the demands of the economy. The labor participation rate remains stalled at levels not seen since the 1970s. And if the participation rate was where it was back in February of 2020, there would be 3.3 million more workers today. If every unemployed person in the country found a job, we would still have 4 million job openings. According to a recent report from the Chamber of Commerce, companies of every size and industry across nearly every state are facing unprecedented challenges trying to find enough workers to fill open jobs. Reasons for the worker shortage noted by both the Chamber and the Fed include early retirements made possible by stimulus payments and what was soaring home and investment portfolio gains in 2020 and 2021 leaving established businesses to start new businesses, lack of access to child care, lingering concerns or symptoms from COVID, deaths from COVID and increased societal ills such as opioid addiction, decreased immigration. Right? The shortage inhibits economic growth in two ways. First, lost output from simply not having enough workers to meet demand. And second, higher costs to businesses that have to pay up to attract and retain workers. Some of these reasons for the shortage should correct. As excess savings dwindle and the values of investment portfolios and homes fall, the financial cushion to retire or start a new business probably won't feel so substantial. Many of the other factors mentioned do not have easy fixes. So while a tight labor market might be good for consumer lending and spending, the labor shortage ultimately will hold back economic growth 
And that's not good for credit overall. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, a new credit paradigm. Weak business models and inappropriate capital structures will no longer work. Two, China's reopening. Good for growth eventually, but watch out for an unwanted inflationary impulse over the near term. And three, the labor market. The tight market is good for consumer lenders, but not so good for economic growth. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week. Hello, listeners. Join me, Van Hesser, KBRA's chief strategist for in-depth conversations with credit experts in my new monthly podcast, Leading Voices in Credit, where I'll interview market professionals on the latest trends in credit markets. That's Leading Voices in Credit with Van Hesser. Subscribe now.